everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of um, Twice Removed or welcome back to Twice Removed. I don't think you've watched this week's before. Um, so um, I'm Natalie. I'm a genealogist. I run genealogy stories and a um, membership club called The Curious Descendants, which is all about writing your family history. Um, and I know that several of the members are really excited about today's interview because I am joined by an incredible author, Nathan Dylan Goodwin. Hi, Nathan. Hello. Hello. Would you mind introducing yourself? Because my guests always do a much better job than I would. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that. Um, yeah, my name is Nathan Dillagubin. Um, I'm a genealogical crime mystery author. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I write and uh, specialise mainly in books connected to genealogy and genetic genealogy. That's Great. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me today. I know we've already got quite a few people watching and I just wanted to say um, hi, Paul and Jane, who have just said hello um, to both of us. Um, but I also um, just wanted to let everybody know that if you have any questions or any comments, please do um, type them in and I'll, I'll try and bring them up on screen so we can get as many answered as possible. But um, before we before you swamp me with your questions, I'm going to get in a few of my own so, and hopefully pick up a writing tip or two. So, um, so what came first Nathan did doing your family tree or you know sort of some sort of genealogy activity come first or or and lead to the writing or were you a writer first who then found genealogy like which kind of how did it happen yeah. <laughs> yeah um it started with genealogy so I've been doing it since I was about 12. um I started with my grandmother's maiden name which was the Dengate family um, eventually branching into all parts of my in my family tree but I started with that and that's kind of been the core of my my research um, I registered it as a one name study years ago and I do the DNA um, study group as well um, so yeah genealogy was running for a very long time as a as a hobby and um, while I did all kinds of other uh, random jobs um, and then it was actually about 2003 I was uh, in Hastings Library looking through these um, big uh, observers, these newspapers, doing looking for Dengates in particular. And um, and I thought, this is really interesting because the, the town actually suffered really badly in, in the Second World War. And I thought there's a there's a book in this, but a, a non-fiction book, you know, kind of just telling the, the story of the town. It was bombed really heavily and it was all affected with evacuation and all sorts. Um, so I set about writing a non-fiction book which became Hastings at War. Um, so that was my first proper foray into writing. I'd done a couple of magazine articles and things. Um, I think it was for Family Tree magazine years and years ago. Um, but this was the first proper thing. And on the back of that, I did a second volume in a similar vein um, and then decided I really loved the, the writing process generally and wanted to try uh, fiction writing. So I did a part-time master's degree in creative writing um, and pretty well straight away um, started writing what would become uh, Hiding the Past, so the first book in the series. And I didn't really intend it to be anything published or didn't intend, definitely didn't see it as a, as a series. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just, I kept going on it and my uh, classmates really enjoyed the, the story and were encouraging me to, to write more and more. So pretty well the entire time of that two-year course, um, I was working on, on this story that would become Hide in the Past. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, how it happened. And 
the the two have continued since genealogy and writing and i now um can merge them which is fantastic so so nowadays what what kind of sparks your ideas do the characters pop into your head first or the storyline and 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 is the storyline kind of come from your own research and then everything kind of grows from that or kind of like what's the what's the process how does it work <laughs> it's it's a it's usually the story that that comes first um so the ideas for each of the morton books are there there's a there's an under undercurrent that goes through the whole series uh, of Morton's backstory but actually each book is a standalone separate case that Morton has to solve by the end of the book um, and those stories generally come from like research that I'm doing in my own family tree or just happened upon so for example the last book The Sterling Affair that came from an email from the National Archives just saying that some new spy records from the Cold War had been released for the first time that were previously classified and I just thought, wow, that would be a really interesting story because, they, you know, a spy by, by nature of hiding their identity and doing all these, you know, uh, illicit undercover things. And so I thought it would be a really good story for Morton to try and work out who this spy is. And so that then became the, uh, the catalyst for the story. And I then do more research. Um, then characters start to come out of the real documents. So occasionally there are, I use real people in, in the stories, but usually the, the main characters are fictional, but they're based on people I've, I've uncovered. So yeah, it kind of comes in that way. And um, the Chester Creek Murders, so the new uh, series I've started, um, that came really from the Golden State Killer being captured in America using genetic genealogy. And I thought, wow, I've got to do something um, in that vein but we don't do that over here so i knew it had to be a new series set in america american characters um so that was the the catalyst there so yeah it's, it's usually the, the story that comes first then the research and then the characters come from that and how how challenging was it to move to america i mean have you have obviously um the morton books are set somewhere you're quite familiar with so mm -hmm. um how difficult was it to move to america were you quite familiar with the place where it was being set or did you have to go over there and stay or like how did you how did you tackle that so it was a bit tricky actually so um i decided that the team that are going to solve i'm hoping it'll be a series so a team that solves these cold case murders using uh, genetic genealogy they're based in Salt Lake City and I had been there several times because of Roots Tech and so when I realized uh, that I would want to do this um, book set there the last time I was out um, in fact the last two times I was doing research I was looking for where their office was going to be and going to restaurants and all these difficult things going skiing and doing all these you know very difficult research tasks it's a really it's hard life you need there. really hard yes <laughs> yes eating and drinking and skiing and you know um having lots of fun all in the name of research um so yes i did i did research on the ground uh, there actually one of the hardest things was um deciding whether to write the story in uh, with american spellings or english spellings and once i decided i actually would do american spellings um was actually kind of trying to stick to that like lots of people know that there's a different way of saying trunk and boot and all those kinds of things and different spellings but 
there were lots of ways that Americans would say something like, um, we would say we're driving down the M25. They would say we're driving down I-15. They wouldn't say the. And so I was quite lucky that I had lots of my early readers um, were American. So they would say, we don't say it like that. We don't say we're going to get some coffee. We're just going to say we're going to get coffee or, you know, so it's all those little, oh, little that's really interesting. That, yeah, it's those things that, that, that threw me. But um, I, th I think I got there by the end. So. <laughs> Did you did you have to kind of learn some colloquialisms as well, like just sort of little sayings, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, lots of the, again, the early readers were really good at saying, you know, we would probably say this in that context or you could say this or that, that's definitely, I don't, I don't know what it is, but over here, like I just know lots of people that in a friendly way call a friend by their surname, like Mr. Goodwin, they would say, you know, just in a friendly, what are you doing there, Mr. Goodwin? Um, and I had that in the book and they said, we just don't do that over here, <laughs> you know, so uh, so they would, yeah, come up with things that I, I could say and also things that I shouldn't shouldn't be saying. So, I think it's, I think it's a really good tip there, because I think um, even if you're not writing fiction, I think if you're writing about your ancestors lives, trying to imagine how they would have spoken and what they would have said and mm -hmm. the way they would yeah. have said things, because obviously language has changed a lot over time as well. Totally. So even if it's just yeah. reading some novels set in that time, the time period mm -hmm. that you're writing about, I think, yeah, that, yeah, it's um, it is those small things that make quite a massive difference yeah. in believability don't they I guess mm -hmm. you know um yeah so um so generally when you when you you know I, I think I really notice especially with the watermarks that the that places are really seem to be really important in your novels or I always kind of really get a really strong sense of place when I'm reading um is that is that something that's quite important to you and and you know when you visit them what kind of notes do you make to kind of make sure that it that it like you know do you draw maps and things like that yeah so the, the yeah the location is really important um and because of that um i i live in kent and i'm from sussex um so generally the books are based <laughs> the morton part at least is based uh in kent and sussex um i'm a little bit lazy so it just saves me having to go too far to do my research but it's really important to get it right um when i started hiding the past actually i based it in the very first draft in a fictional location and then i just thought why am i why am i doing this let's just base it somewhere real where people can identify with and i can go there and actually you know i always when i go to these places i take lots of notes draw maps of the locations take photos choose an exact house that somebody would have lived in you know and i and i then look at where where things in relation to that um and it's really important and and i find that storyline can come out of that as well like um if he goes into a cafe nearby and you know there's just things that come from being in the location so yeah it's really important so can we look forward to like a morton tour one day or is there already a morton tour <laughs> that would be really the good. House um, that would be really fun yeah well actually you can stay in his house it's um it's on airbnb and i and i did for the first time about two months ago and it was amazing totally different oh, wow. to how I describe it and totally different <laughs> to how I imagined it but um yeah so there could be a Morton tour yeah starting at be... his house and yeah wandering around Rye that would be great that would be great so um mm. as well as places um 
your um your depiction of the archives made um well it certainly made me smile and i think i think it probably made a lot of people smile um how how much do you base your um visits to morton's visit to the archives um on on your own experiences of visiting the archives yeah. so it's pretty well completely how i how i experience it goes into the book for better or worse um again uh, it's really important for me to get that right so um down to you know what happens when you arrive at reception you know what they what details they want from you and how you sign in and where the lockers are and i i need that to be right so that readers can say yeah that that is an accurate um depiction and so yeah i mean um uh, one of the archivists who appears in, in lots of books deirdre latimer she's in the east sussex record office she is based on a real <laughs> a real person there um just I, I don't know i think i probably if i go in to do uh, genealogy i'll take a document and i'll spend a long time poring over the the records um but if i'm doing it for the book i tend to take a, a document and it's more about the process of you know how long it takes to come what does it look like what's inside once i've established that the content i'm going to make fiction and so i hand it back again and i want the next one and i think they're like goodness sake you know i'm just there and you know what next document and they must be thinking you're not a serious researcher if you can go through an entire document in like three minutes so i think i annoy them a bit but um yeah but also like when i did the research for sterling affair i went to the west sussex uh, record office and they just they were just amazing they just bent over backwards for me they're really good and so that's what happens in the book with morton he has a good experience there um and in the acknowledgement at the end i say say to them you know thank you it was a really really a pleasure to to go there but how many how many archives have got a little photo of <laughs> yeah of nathan on, on a back cover like watch when he comes in it's like getting a restaurant critic in, isn't it? yeah i think you don't want I to end up as a deirdre character <laughs> yeah um paul's well, just said he, paul's just said even he feels terrified of facing deirdre <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, you would be Paul. She's uh she's uh yeah, she's quite a character. She's still there, I think. Um so another thing that I think you did really, really well is um, you know, obviously when you're searching for somebody in the archives like you say it can be quite a long process to trawl through a document mm -hmm. um and to me it always seems like you you give a really accurate depiction of 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 the research that's involved or the type of documents that are going to be looked at but without it becoming boring um you know you. <laughs> when you say yeah well when you say it's the genealogy and I, I must admit this was a little bit of a barrier for me before i picked up the first book i kind of thought but how's that going to work? Because, you know, you spend like six hours looking through, I don't know, yeah. work out settlement records. It sounds really boring. Like, how are you going to, yeah, I don't get it. Is it good? And then I was like, yeah, I just don't understand. And um, and then I read the book and I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but for anyone who's not read any of them, how do, how do you kind of, how do you tackle keeping the, um, the detail in and, and making it realistic, but without, you know, saying i found this birth then i found the baptism and it was it because uh, i think a lot of us yeah. when we write up our family history can fall into that trap quite easily as well we, we, we mm -hmm. want to put all the evidence in and in doing so sometimes we put yeah everything in and it becomes a big long list of facts you know um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. well done how did you do it <laughs> <laughs> thank you um yeah it, it is a difficult one because again i want it to be realistic because none of us ever walk into an archive 
and find the first on the first page of the first document we order what we want and and it's all really quick and you know um it isn't really like who do you think you are is it you know it's much more laborious and time consuming and sometimes you spend a day and you don't find what you're looking for um so i try and strike that balance between not making it too boring to read um so in the chester creek murders i would um, because that's very laborious, what they're doing, creating multiple trees, um, I switch uh, characters. So that's a, that's a quick and easy way of just saying, and then you can come back to that one, and it's kind of, it, it is six hours later, that they, and they found what they're looking for. Um, with Morton, who's researching by himself, um, I tend to show the, the document arriving, for example, in an archive, and then he'll look at it, show show the reader what that contains you know an, exa an example of what what's in there um and perhaps something amusing or you know something like that and then i will then say he, he keeps searching can't find what he's looking for and then if it's still ongoing he doesn't find it i'll say three hours later morton was you know he, he still hadn't found what he's looking for three hours later he found the the, the thing he was searching for um but i think uh, regards what you're saying with our own family histories when we're writing up real things i i agree i think there's a real problem of getting swamped by i know all this information i know their birthday i know their baptism date i know where they were living so i'm going to put it all in but i think a potential way of solving that is to use footnotes so have have a footnote to say this is the baptism date and location and here's all the information but actually what what somebody who's not uh, a genealogist needs to know is just they're born in the 18 in 1871 um and actually what's more interesting i think is um what life was like what life would have been like for them you know to, to set the social context more than to to go on about the the facts of the matter that's just no, my opinion no I, I i completely agree i um I, I did a little talk on um, for historians collaborate on the importance of storytelling in, in family history. And um, that was kind of one of my main points. You know, when you talk to yeah. somebody in real life, you, you know, if I was to tell you about, um, you know, the time that somebody died or passed away or something, I don't I don't start the story with, well, they were born on such and yeah. such day and they were baptized <laughs> yeah. on such and such day. And then they died mm -hmm. on this day. And now I feel yeah. sad. You know, you don't tell a story like that. So why would no. you tell your family history like that? You know, you, you tell it with stories. So no, I completely agree. And the other way that I've seen people do it is um, to to write the story and then have, um, you know, perhaps an appendix at the end, which is a table yeah. of all the events that they found and all the sources yeah. in, in one kind of factual mm. biography kind of yeah. sheet at the end which say yeah or footnotes i think that both of those methods work really really well um it's important to have those you know the sources of course but i think yeah. it can swamp the the detail of the character of the person's life yeah no i agree and actually when you read um a lot of history books you know they they don't tend to have the sources right there in the text as no. if it was an essay you know if it's a, they tend to have mm -hmm. them at the back as footnotes yeah. um or um end notes even yeah. um yeah. so yeah yeah no i agree so actually that leads me on nicely to, uh, to to my next question so how how important is the historical context do you think of the um genealogy the, of the characters you depict the the ones from the past you know the things that they're yeah. discovering because yeah. one of the things that i thought was quite interesting is um certainly um sometimes they're almost like little vinaigrettes of of characters and mm -hmm. the story might be about the impact of the actions that they did that they um that they did on on today um but yeah. even in those kind of 
brief moments, I, you, you still feel like they're in context and you, you kind of know who they were, even mm-hmm. though they might be quite brief. It's very clever. And I just, um, yeah, wondered how important that was and how you tackle, tackle that. Yeah, it's, it's really important. Um, so the books, each of the books has got a different um, past narrative time frame. So Second World War, First World War, Victorian times, Edwardian. Um, and so I spend a very long time, like up to three months doing my research, which includes a historical context. So I buy lots and lots of too many books um, and I do lots of research on the Internet. Um, to really establish what um, life was like generally, never mind the story. If, they, if I'm going to set something in the Second World War, I'll look at just general life in the Second World War, um, then start to hone it down and be more specific. So, um, for example, the fourth book, The America Ground, that was set in the 1820s in Sussex. And so I spent a lot of time just generally looking at life in the 1820s in England, um, then looking at Sussex, which obviously included the Sussex dialect, and that then provided me with words and phrases and ways of saying things for the characters. Um, and then I'll then look at specifically what was going on in the America ground itself and how did it come to be about. And um, yes, yeah, so it's really important to get that right. And if I, if I get the research stage right, for the, for the including the genealogy and everything, then the book tends to to write itself, not be too too uh, onerous a task, and you know really enjoyable because I've done that that work to set it up. And do you do all that? Do you kind of plot your stories out? Do the research, plot your stories out, and then write, or do you tend to do a bit of all three kind of together? Or yeah, it's it's a mixture really. Um, so when, when I first, very first started out, like with Hiding the Past and the second book, The Lost Ancestor, I was very much trying to know everything before I started. Well, how's this going to go and how's it going to end? And how? Um, and then I started to relax a bit after that and just kind of trust that it would work out. Um, so now I would say, so for The Sterling Affair, the most recent one, um, I probably knew about 60% of it before I started. And I knew very roughly the character arcs that I would like them all to go on. But there were lots of points I think I don't I don't know at the beginning. I didn't know how those things would link up or how that particular thing would end, you know. So there are lots of loose ends, but I find that they generally, it's, and it's a bit of a cliche, but the characters do take the story where they want to go, you know. And um, it's, it's a very strange thing to say, but... They do. They, you know, something that in the morning I wouldn't, when I woke up, I had no idea that this character was going to do this thing. But I'm writing and that's what's happening. And um, yeah, and so sometimes I have to stop, you know, like um, I got to a point in the Sterling Affair where I needed to pause, do some more plotting. I had to go to um, the Churchill archives in Cambridgeshire to do some more research um, to then come back to continue writing. So it's quite fluid and I try not to pin myself down to, you know, I, I just, I kind of just have an instinct of, I've got enough, I've done enough research, I've done enough plotting to at least make a start on it. Um, and th- something's going right there because when I come to do the editing, I don't have to do really heavy cutting and pasting and shifting of chapters. So um, it seems to, seems to be working. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny how, um, how, 
um, different writers work in so many different ways. I can't mm -hmm. remember because I've heard um, writers before say, you know, that their 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 characters spoke to them or or or, or yeah. led them in a certain direction. And then I I can't remember which author is, but there is another author that said, when my characters do that, I tell them to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so they obviously work in a really yeah. structured way, and it kind of yeah. it obviously varies so widely. It's always really yeah. fascinating, I think, to hear about mm. other people's processes and how they work. Um. So, um, talking about different time periods as well, do you have a favourite? Do you have a favourite time period? I think it's probably the Second World War. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I don't really know why. I think it's just because I suppose it's in fairly recent living memory, and you know, like my I, my grandparents were able to talk about it. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm not. I'm totally not. You know, I'm not a fan of war in the slightest. But it just it just appeals to me, particularly the not the military aspects of it. Actually, it's more the the effect on the general population, you know, the home front kind of that kind of uh, thing, um, and the, the that big effect that it had on the nation. So, yeah, that's I think that's my favourite my favourite time period. Yeah, I can understand that. It's almost it's all, all, the Second World War almost feels within like just at the edge of your fingertips. You can't yeah, exactly. quite go back there, yeah. Richard, but it's familiar mm -hmm. enough for it to almost be yeah. there. It's yeah, it's it's and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I've my grandparents were children during the Second World War. So it's mm. almost within living memory. Not quite mine, but it's yeah, exactly. it's on the edge. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, when so I was do doing you... the sorry. No, sorry, go on, no, go ahead. I was gonna say when I was doing the interviewing, I interviewed about fifty um people for when it hastened at war i mean most of them have since died so i'm very glad I, I did that but that again it just made it feel really um tangible you know it just mm. you know that these people experienced all these you know horrific and funny and you know all kinds of events that went on and so yeah yeah no i agree mm. um I think it's one of the reasons I really like my great great grandparents as well because um they um Sorry, my great grandparents, because they most of them died when I was sort of ten or eleven, so I was quite lucky. I knew three out of three of them, and um, they again they almost feel really tangible because my grandparents yeah. talk about them, and and sometimes mm -hmm. the generation before that they talk about it a little bit as well. So there's that kind of familiarity, but yeah. not enough to become complacent. <laughs> you know, they're just kind of just slightly out of reach yeah. enough to be really interesting. So yeah, no, I completely <laughs> agree. Um, so um. Do you have a favourite ancestor then? If you, if you like the Second World War, if you've got a favourite ancestor? Um, well, obviously, I love them all equally and uh, <laughs> <laughs> dearly. Um, but I hope they'll forgive me when I say they're all a bit samey, my ancestors. They're all very, um, they're white and they're from South England and they were generally agricultural labourers or, you know, working on the land. Um, so I think one of my favourites. It's probably my great great grandmother Louisa Rokes because she was born um, in St Helena, so the tiny island that's off of the west coast of Africa, um, and she's she interests me because she's just she's a very mixed heritage. So uh, she was born in 1871. There, uh, her paternal grandfather was a white slave owner. He had three slaves on the island, um, but her maternal grandmother was a black slave um and it's just that that heritage is really interesting and it actually comes through into my dna i can see i can pinpoint exactly in my ethnicity i've got this it's a low portion but of um south asia and it's really interesting because the south asia part 
covers uh, southern India and Sri Lanka. And that's where the East India Company would take their slaves from and then take them round to St. Helena that they, that um, East India Company were running the island from, from about the 1600s um, for the British government. And so that, that heritage is still is within her and it's still, still there in a tiny amount uh, in me. And it's, it's very difficult though uh, to do the research. So most of the um, islands archives are only available on the island. So I'm, I'm paying a small fortune to the archivist on the islands to, to give me what they've got, which isn't that, that um, you know, there's not that much to it, but I'd, I'd love to find, uh, you know, the, the slave ancestors, but obviously once they were taken from uh, Southern India and Sri Lanka area to the island, they were given anglicized names. And so I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be able to make the connection back, but yeah, so she stands out for me as uh, being one of the more interesting ancestors. Yeah, I bet. And I, DNA is amazing that way, I think, as well, isn't mm -hmm. it? That, that if the paperwork has been lost, even if you can't find the exact person, at least you can begin to find the location and look at the history yeah. of that place and, yeah. and the people within that place and know that somebody there was yours, if you know what I mean, or, and he's exactly. still there with you yeah. in a way, um, has yeah. passed on. Um, so um, we, have you been quite an early adopter of um, DNA analysis? Yes. Yeah, so um, in, in the third book in the Morton series, so The Orange Lilies, um, which is set in December 2014, Morton um, takes a DNA test and he, I basically wrote the process um, that I had to do because back then you couldn't, you couldn't take DNA tests in England for, through ancestry. Um, so I basically, I ordered a kit in America to go to my friend in America. She posted it to me. I took the DNA test, posted it back to her and she posted it to ancestry. So. I got to have a, a DNA test really early on. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's really always fascinated me. And I think that's come through through the books as well. So Morton is using DNA more and more um, as, as, we, as we all do in real life, you know. So it's kind of started back then in 2014 and has just increased. So um, in the last book, in, in The Sterling Affair, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, DNA analysis. And obviously, um, Chester Creek murders is completely based around solving a cold case murder, trying to find a serial killer just from his DNA. Um, so I really had to make sure, you know, I knew knew my stuff um, for that book. And it, it's been really hard to hear lots of the top people in the industry saying that that is correct. It was accurate depictions and um, actually several people have said that they've been on DNA courses and they the, the person running the course has said to read that book because that's kind of a textbook example of how to do it it's not it's not a textbook it's a, you know it's a fiction but the the process is accurate that's amazing well done that, like yeah. that's I think that's Thanks. brilliant <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really that's, 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 that's no mean feat to make um, a DNA analysis both understandable and entertaining. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was tricky. It was tricky. Yeah, yeah. In in written word, I mean, it's a bit different when you're listening to somebody speak because obviously they can yeah. bring up the visuals and they can use their personality mm -hmm. to kind of convey things, yeah. you know. Um, but when you're doing it in writing, that's really challenging. So I think mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Um, so um, did um, did your did 
I'm trying to think how to word it. Did your um, once you'd done the DNA, obviously, you know, if you were new to um, if you were taking it right when it was new um, and there wasn't so much yeah. help and advice about it, did you, you did you kind of have to like suss out how to use it yourself or did it did your DNA kit kind of sit there a little bit dormant and just there as an ethnicity report until it kind of exploded with 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 more matches and that advice become became available um yeah so it, it, I, I remember when I first had the results back it was um it, it wasn't particularly useful because obviously mainly only Americans had taken the test so my results I think my closest matches were kind of in the third to fifth cousin bracket and they were really obscure as well like they were I think they were more in the fifth cousin bracket to be honest rather than the third um so it wasn't the, the cousin matches wasn't particularly useful to me um because I just couldn't work out you know how they connected it was so far back um and the ethnicity reports actually were quite off I know we have to take them with a little bit you know of a pinch of salt the ethnicity reports even now but they've definitely improved hugely I think I'm sure my first one came back as 67% Northwest Europe, which didn't even include Britain. And I was thinking, this doesn't match <laughs> my paper trail in the slightest. And I was something like, I think I was less, uh, something less than 10% British. And I was like, this is very big revelation. And then obviously it's, you know, improved over the time and changed. And now it, it kind of pretty well matches my, my paper trail. And obviously the cousin matches have improved. and. And I, I added to that over the years as well with getting, I got my mum tested, I got my grandmother tested, I've got cousins and aunts and, you know, so I've added to that so that I can start to see, well, I've got this huge bank of third to fifth cousins, but how, how are they connecting, you know, on which side are they being, you know, relating to me? So, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's improved a, a lot, let's just say. <laughs> That multiple testing makes such a big difference, and because I I I, really I started off testing myself, um, I was curious, mm -hmm. and I I actually um, wrongly assumed that my uh, I knew my mum would be happy to do one, and she and she did, and that was great. But I kind of wrongly assumed that my nan and granddad, who are on my dad's side, um, were, would not want to take one. I kind of just thought that they wouldn't be comfortable with it because yeah. my, my nan had kind of voiced some sort of like, oh, I don't know about all that kind of thing and mm -hmm. having your name on a database <laughs> being a mixed end. So based on that, I just kind of assumed that they wouldn't be interested and, and wouldn't, wouldn't agree and I didn't want to approach them about it. Um, and then um, one day I was just talking about it and they went, oh yeah, we'd happily take one. And I was like, oh, okay, so I ran out and get the quick, clicks and, quick. and did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mind. And actually they were absolutely fine. They were, yeah, I'd That's completely, good. it just goes to show you a little tip for somebody there. Don't assume. Yeah. That, you know, no, you don't assume, you, definitely. But you know your nan's mind because yeah. Yeah. if your nan's anything like mine, it won't be what you expect. Yeah, my, um, my, nan, my nan did it for me, but bless her. She was just so struggling to fill the test tube up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, right. yeah, yeah it's a long time but yeah I've got her DNA which is good yeah I keep I've got a kit that's been sat on my side for at least a year um for my great uncle to test um because my my great grandmother was illegitimate um and she she put down the name of her father on her um marriage certificate um 
never been really convinced we're never really really sure that is whether he is actually her father though or whether mm -hmm. that's just who she was told he was i mean he's just yeah. it's just a bootmaker in cardiff so it's not no one you know nothing fancy made up but mm -hmm. i don't know just not like a hundred percent and there's nothing in my dna results or my mum's to kind of narrow it down um enough especially not with it being welsh so mm -hmm. i need to get my uh, great uncle to, to take that do, DNA do test it. it's just do been it. sat there I know uh, Paul Chidix thinks that I'm organized and Paul I'm not organized I've had a DNA kit sat on my shelf for over a year because so, <laughs> I haven't made it to the post so yeah um so um so how much have you used your own family tree in your books um or is it more those kind of general ideas like you like you mentioned kind of that spring out of you um for example the email from the National Archives so that it's generally uh, my my um, family, as I've said, isn't quite as exciting as the cases that Morton um, gets up to, unfortunately. Um, but the, the one that's closest to anything in my family tree is um, the spyglass files, the, the one set in the Second World War. So it's very, very loosely based on my grandmother's story. So she she and my grandfather married in nine, December 1940, and uh, he then went off to war and was captured in uh, Singapore in January 42 and he was prisoner of war till for the whole duration until the war finished but um my grandmother managed to give birth uh, in March 1943 to a to a daughter who clearly wasn't uh, my grandfather's um and, uh, and put the child up for adoption and nobody in the family knew anything until about 2015 so um yeah, that that kind of inspired because I, I, I got to meet uh, my my new half aunt and um, I got to look through her adoption file and looked at all these original documents that obviously most of the time we're we're not privy to because it's obviously you know closed to the public, um, and that kind of inspired the story um, of Elsie Finch in the, in the Spyglass file and again like lots of the documents that I found that I had you know, looked at from my half aunt they were used in there and it's, it's um it is a fictional story it's not it's not her story but it's very loosely based on it yeah okay yeah that's a great example though <laughs> yeah yeah okay. Um, I've just noticed the time and I just wanted to um, give everyone a chance to, if they, if anyone wants to pop in with a question, please do, because um, I we've only got sort of 15, 20 more minutes with um, with Nathan and I know that people um, are always a bit nervous to comment first with their first question. So just want to encourage you to please do, please do go for it. <laughs> so um, the, uh, the, the new book does do you think you'll return to Morton at all, or do you think Morton's wrapped up? Oh no, he's not wrapped up. Um, I've been plotting up to book thirteen actually. So um, the the next one, so Morton nine, um, that's in the editing stage right now. So it's just it's finished. Um, it's just come back from the first editor who really enjoyed it. So. Um, it's now back to me to look, reread it and check it and edit it again and then it will go out to my early readers and they'll give me their feedback and so yeah hopefully only be a couple of months and it'll be out and then um, I'll be starting the next one in the Venator series so the follow-up to Chester Creek um, but no there's plenty of more than yet I've got so many ideas so and do you, enjoy, do you enjoy both of the books 
do you enjoy writing both those different series as much as each other or do, do they kind of compete with each other in your in your desire to write or um <laughs> or, or is there one that kind of is kind of you know edging edging forward uh i i really enjoy both and they even though they're obviously very heavily um based around genealogy so there's lots of things that are similar i think because they're dealing with completely different aspects and are set in different countries and different characters they're different enough for um me to want to do both and like they're not they don't they, they don't compete in that way but i am i very much am looking forward to getting on with um having just done a morton i'm very much looking forward to getting back to the the team in salt lake city but i know when i'm writing that i'll be thinking but i want to get back to more and so that's <laughs> That's the way I kind of work, you know. I, I very much enjoy the thing I'm writing, but I don't think I'm really looking forward to getting back to the next one. So, which is a good thing, you know. So, I think if I ever don't enjoy it, then I won't continue. But I've certainly got a lot of ideas for both series. Yes. So, I am. Um, I noticed good. on your website as well, and I think I must have missed it during lockdown. But I noticed on your website that you've got the um, Morton in lockdown um, yeah. free book available where where it's you know like where it's one of those old-fashioned um uh choose your own adventure um mm -hmm. and i absolutely loved that i i was doing it the oh, other day you. and i thought oh my gosh that's such a good idea for family history um although for my lot i just thought it would be every choice would probably need to workhouse workhouse oh, no, <laughs> prison um but i just i thought that was such a good idea what what kind of gave you that idea to play around with the story in that way so uh well, it was just exactly when lockdown happened, I was thinking, what would what would Morton be doing now? You know, and um, I basically, I, I was writing, I'd started writing um, the Chester Creek murders. And I thought, this is kind of a one-off opportunity to, if I'm going to do something lockdown based, it needs to be now. Um, so I paused on the Chester Creek murders and started doing this lockdown thing. And I was thinking, if I if I start writing Morton in lockdown as a traditional book, even if it was a you know just an ebook or something, it won't be out for several months. And obviously, naively thought like everybody that lockdown would be quite short and we'd be <laughs> you know all out of it quite quickly. And I was thinking by that point, people are not going to want to you know it won't be relevant anymore. So I thought I want to write something quite quickly, but that can be put out pretty well the, the second it finished and so I thought I really liked I loved those books when I was younger those choose yeah, your adventures yeah so you get to the bottom of the page and it says you know go and fight the dragon turn to page 24 or do you want to go back to the cave go and you know and I thought I could do a, a really mini case where Morton is at home like everybody um and he has to solve uh, some sort of a case and it was a real challenge actually to do it because obviously for each um end of a story part there were two or three options and then each of those two or three options had two or three options and each of and i rolled out this huge sheet of wallpaper on my uh, writing room floor and it was just this massive like an inverted family tree it's just like it was just huge and it, it got so complicated i mean obviously some of the options they linked back to, to each other you know obviously i couldn't write everything having three options so i basically made one um it was, it was in part so i had part one to six 
it was the the way through to the end and then there are different other um options but yeah i thought it was, it was really interesting and it and it was the first opportunity i've had to include real documents and and like fabricated documents but there's pictures in there and there's links to websites and links to records and it's really nice to be able to do that so people while they're reading can go oh i just click and have a look i didn't realize that was there you know so yeah i, really I thought enjoyed it was it. I thought it was a really good idea and I thought it lend, would lend itself to family history really, really well, actually, in exploring mm. the past. And if I um, if I can find it for the show notes, refind it for the show notes, I did um, come across a writing group that were doing a um, um, choose your own adventure story, but but as like oh, a right. wiki that any, that anybody could mm -hmm. jump in and join in oh, and right. write. So it would be good really idea. massive. Yeah, I thought it was a really yeah. good idea. I thought it would work really well in the family history community. So you never know, watch this, but if I ever get any free time, <laughs> tap you up, Nathan, and go, uh, hello. <laughs> and oh. um, yeah, I'll come and find it. It um, looked mm. really interesting. And um, just whilst we've been talking, actually, um, Melanie has just popped in with a question where she said, based on your writing experiences, do you have any tips for writing interesting family history in terms of blending fiction with fact? Yeah. So blending fiction with fact. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's what I try to do in, in the book is try to have a, a mixture, particularly as the books have gone on. I, I now actively try to include real people and real um, scenarios. I would say um, try and choose an ancestor that really does interest you, that's done something interesting or lived in interesting times, and then do as much read, like reading around that person. So if you know they're living in uh, a certain place at a certain time, really look at what life was like for them back then, um, what was going on in the world and in the, the country it took place, um, and then try and build them into it. It really depends on, on who your reader is going to be as well. So if you're just doing it for yourself and you want to try and um, put one of your ancestors into a, a fictional story, then I would really, really go for it. Read books that are set during that time as well. So you kind of get a feel for language and, um, you know, kind of what was going on historically at the time. Um, and then really just let, let, let it try it out and then let it run. Let that character come to life and, and see how it goes. If you're, if you're not trying to be um, completely factual, then I would say just really relax and enjoy it and uh, get get writing. I completely agree, and I think uh, just yeah, just keep writing because I think it will come. Yeah, practice. I think it's people one of those, get really bogged down muscle, with. Yeah, I think people get bogged down with the idea. Not even bogged down. They get a bit daunted by the idea of starting it. It's like, well, how am I? How am I going to do it? I would say do your research and then put your character into that research and they will start to come to life and, and you'll yeah, go with the flow. And if anyone wants to read um, uh, your books and also um, other books that in, incorporate kind of genealogy, um, is there anywhere they can go to to find that and um, to find yeah, the, you so, know, your books and um, also a list of other possible titles? Yeah, so on um, I've set up a group on Facebook with, along with um, MJ Lee, Wendy Percival, and Stephen Mullineux. So who they all we all write genealogical crime mysteries. Um, it's called the Genealogical Crime Mystery Book Club. So if you search for us on Facebook, um, there's quite a few people on there, and there are basically there are lists of books, there are suggestions people have read, um, and how they're you know, recommending uh, uh, different titles. But it's, it's a 
it's a small niche, but it's um, it's a growing genre. There's, there's, there are quite a few of us out there now. So I would say definitely try those authors. Um, and Steve Robinson is another another good one to try. So all kind of doing yeah similar thing where there's a, a some sort of a crime has happened and the, the main character is using genealogy to, to solve it. Okay. And where and where can people find um, find out a bit more about you and and, uh, and your books in particular? So um, the best place to go would be my website, which is nathandillongoodwin.com. Um, and that's kind of got all the books and blurbs and reviews and references and links to the different ways of purchasing them. So they're all in um, Audible, Kindle and paperback. Um, and there's also links to all my social media stuff and um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all the rest of it. So that's the best place to go. Yeah, NathanDillonGoodwin.com. Okay. And um, uh, I, I noticed you've done the Audible editions, which is great because I love audiobooks. Mm. Uh, have, you, have you ever been tempted to narrate it yourself? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, no. I just think... No, the, the people I've got doing them, um, they're, that's their, their, their professional voice actors, whereas I think my voice droning on just wouldn't be very exciting. So I, no. I'm sure that's not the case, but it is a real skill, isn't it? It's a real, it, it is, it, yeah. it really bring a book to life. Um, and, yeah. they're, and they're really good as well at doing the different characters. I think I'd, I don't know how I would sound as an old lady, really. <laughs> quite like to hear you try but, um, but I won't make you do it live over the internet thank you <laughs> on that note I should probably wrap up thank you so much Nathan <laughs> for You're answering welcome. my rather rambling questions and coming and chatting to me I re really really enjoyed it um and um, you, yeah I I look forward to carrying on I've got lots of your novels to catch up on I'm I'm quite a, a late adopter so um I'm really really pleased that I gave them a chance and discovered them because I was thank really you. pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed them so thank you so much and um yeah I will I will end the broadcast and let you get on with your evening but um after the show there'll be the usual loading of this onto the podcast as well but also there'll be a accompanying blog post which will be over at www.genealogystories.co.uk um, on the twice removed section and I will make sure I've got a link to Nathan's site and all his books but also any of the other resources that we've um, mentioned will be on there and probably some links to some really good writing sites as well so I will see you all in a fortnight <laughs> Bye.